gentlemen, and welcome to the Sparkling Ice podcast. My name is Ethan Tong, and I'm joined today by a special, special, special guest, Lawson Doden. We're here to talk about the Ravi Zacharias scandal that happened um, back in 2020, though there was a lot of stuff that happened a little bit before then as well. Uh, let's just start by getting the situation straight. So I, I'll turn it over to you, Lawson, if you just want to talk about how this all started, starting with Lorianne Thompson and then moving into what happened after Ravi's death. Sure. Well, uh, actually, the first thing that happened is in 2015 and before, Ravi was investigated by Steve Bauman for um, faking credentials, claiming he was a doctor when he wasn't and claiming he studied at um, Cambridge and was a professor at Oxford when he really wasn't. So that was the first kind of chink in Ravi's armor. Later, in I think about 2017, he had an online affair. I don't know what the correct word to use is um, before we discuss it, but um, an online relationship with a woman named, a Canadian named Lori Ann Thompson. Um, They had been uh, texting each other and emailing and been in contact. And apparently, according to um, Ravi, she had unsolicited words sent him uh, nude photos of herself and um, he then sued and um, they were able to um, settle out of court. But it seems like um, in recent years that it's come out that Lorian Thompson was really groomed and manipulated into sending those photos and that Ravi um, just manipulated them and abused their relationship. Um, especially since later after his death in about 2020, it uh, came out that multiple women at a spa especially had been abused by him and um, had just undergone sexual grooming and um, been not treated in the way that any woman of God should be treated or women in general. So one of the resources that Lawson and I have both been referencing as we've been studying what happened in this Ravi Zacharias scandal is Steve Bauman's book, Cover Up in the Kingdom. Uh, The subtitle is Phone Sex, Lies, and God's Great Apologist, Ravi Zacharias. Uh, Interestingly, Bauman's book is only about Lorianne Thompson because at the time that he wrote this book, which was, do you know what year this was, Lawson? 2018. Yes, in 2018, um, that's when the book was written, and by then, all the other things about the spas and Ravi Zacharias' sexual misconduct within those arenas wasn't yet revealed. Um, but notably, Bauman's book does have a lot to say about Zacharias even before any of these things came out in the future, which we'll be talking about later. Um, well, actually, we can start talking about it now, actually. So the, the big thing that, that happened after Ravi, Ravi died was that there were a couple of people who came out and uh, one of them was named Vicky Blue, and she sent an email that was saying that she had a very close relationship with Ravi and that he was, quote, a sexual pervert, and that she knew many of the women that he molested. Including her daughter, actually. And this was specifically within the spa business. Uh, Christianity Today published a very prominent article that a lot of Christians, especially those who have followed Ravi for years, read, and that article talked about how he owned multiple spas and how the women that were in the spas and giving him massage therapy on his back, he had asked them for sexual favors and he had inappropriately had sexual contact with them, um, including things that would be uh, too much to even share on this podcast. Credit again to Steve Bauman. It was because of Steve's book that Vicky emailed him actually, emailed Steve, 
saying all this. And then Steve told Christianity Today and told them to investigate and release that now they should release a um, their findings before he released his own. So, um, yes, we want to very much credit Steve Bauman for um, his contributions to making sure Ravi um, and his victims were reconciled uh, after death, at least. The, the big thing with what happened with Christianity Today is after they publicized all of this news, uh, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, or RZIM for short, <clears throat> they went and they wanted to make sure, well, at the, at the point at which this was all released, they didn't believe these accusations. So they went and hired an independent auditing firm uh, to release a report about whether or not what Bauman and Vicky Blue were claiming actually was true, especially given that their founder was the target of all of these accusations. Right. So Miller and Martin Law Firm released their findings, and um, this was after the Christian Today article, if um, that's at all relevant. But they released their findings and concluded that Ravi had indeed had some kind of um, sexual misconduct with multiple women and including over the phone and in person and that he was not at all the person that he claimed to be in his public life. Um, now, Ethan mentioned that RZIM had released a statement saying he didn't do it and that he did. This is not to be confused with the family, which most of the members still say that he did not do it, especially uh, Nathan Zacharias. Yeah, so this is really interesting where the rubber really meets the road in terms of the controversy, because whereas RZIM has accepted that uh, what, all the accusations that people have made against Ravi about his sexual misconduct were true, uh, his family has not, for the most part. The oldest daughter, uh, Sarah, Sarah Davis, she is the only one who, in the family who has said that she believes the victims and she, is, she has deeply apologized on behalf of her, her father, but his oldest son, Nathan, and then his youngest daughter, Naomi, as well as his wife, Margie, have all continually denied that everything that people have claimed about Ravi is true. And I think one of the biggest reasons why this is even a scandal in the first place, which I guess we neglected to talk about at the beginning, is Ravi had an insane reach. I mean, I personally knew of Ravi Zacharias, and Lawson can talk about his experience in a second, but I knew about Ravi ever since high school. We watched lots of videos of him defending the faith. Uh, my parents were huge Ravi Zacharias fans. The fact was, like, he had a mind that was very gifted. He knew how to persuade. He knew how to speak. He told entertaining stories. And so especially when you're in the realm of apologetics and trying to figure out what you believe about your faith and how to defend your faith, Ravi knew how to talk about it. And so there are so many people who cited him as a great influence. Uh, Mike Pence cited him as an influence. Tim mm -hmm. Tebow cited mm -hmm. him as an inf influence. So Ravi isn't just this no-name pastor. He, he is pretty well known among very many Christians. Would you agree with that, Lawson? Yes. Well, to be clear, he's not um – quite a pastor but yes um just to clarify there um i really appreciate your radio voice by the way i, I want, want to mention that i'm kind of jealous but uh anyway i'm, yes. lower, I'm lowering it three octaves for this podcast yes at least <laughs> uh, um anyway uh as i was saying yeah the two apologists i knew coming out of high school for my apologetics class were ken ham and ravi zacharias um my teacher was almost obsessed with the man and um, actually I talked to my little brother about this and he said that my sisters were in his class when all this was coming out and that he addressed it and um, was just seemed very sorrowful about the whole thing and um, very sad 
much like how I would be super sad if something came out really bad against C.S. Lewis or if mm. R.C. Sproul had something come mm-hmm. out against them for you. Or John or Piper, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I talked to my parents about this, and I know that there are a lot of people who are still defending Ravi, and we'll talk about that situation in a minute. But my parents specifically told us, like, anyone, this could happen to anyone because sin nature is in everyone's mm-hmm. heart. Amen. And um, unfortunately, like, you will never know that somebody, even just by looking at the outside, you'll never know. And my mom wrote to me, she was like, I just pray that whatever sin we have that's hidden away, God is working on and that it will be brought to light because that's just a temptation for everyone. Though obviously not all of us in the same way as Ravi, but in certain senses, yes. I actually have the quote of exactly what she texted the family, which was, May our hearts always be pure before God as we pray that we would not be tempted by the lies of this world. We are all capable of what Ravi did. Right, and to be clear, um, obviously our faith is not in Ravi, thank goodness, but is in Jesus. Um, But we'll get to that more later. Um, We also want to discuss more of the family's reaction. Um, So, for example, there were the Martin and Miller Law Firm said that uh, Ravi gave some goodie bags and other such things to some of the people he was grooming and some of the people he molested almost as like gifts or buy-offs, whatever you want to call them. And I just want to mention like some of the pushback. Like in Margie's letter, she mentioned how um, I found the bag, how she said, and I quote, I found the bag of crosses he gave to every therapist who helped him and which have been used against him, calling expensive gifts used to bribe or groom. I'm not even sure what that is. I guess normal civil discourse is grooming because you want to make a good impression on someone. The bag has clearly marked on it who gave them to to him. He did not buy them. A friend who is a jeweler. He gave one to me, to Naomi and Sarah and Sarah Kay, to Elizabeth and Barb one Christmas and described how he used them to open a conversation about the Lord with people he met along the way, end quote. So Margie, uh, <clears throat> the, the email that Lawson is referencing is a, an internal email that she sent to some very close friends and family uh, saying how she went through Robbie's personal belongings and how she didn't find anything suspicious, no letters, uh, no love letters, nothing. And she also mentioned how he was like half out he was sedated for a lot of the latter part of his life and yet he never she never heard him mention another name of a woman in his in his sleep or any other slip-ups that would indicate that he had some secret to hide that he hadn't told her and so the last thing that we have from margie because we haven't heard anything anymore recently we both lawson and i have been looking for more information but the last letter when was that written again the The last sent that email this email was sent at 2021, April 9th. Yeah, so April of 2021, that's so the last... year ago. Yeah, that's the last we've heard from Margie. We've heard a lot more from Nathan, his oldest son, who, as we mentioned, is still defending his dad's innocence. He actually owns a website called DefendingRavi.com, and he's posting a lot about what his father... What, like, the evidence that the, the guideposts uh, audit came out with and all of the evidence that was contained in there and finding some of it he didn't believe... Um, did you want to talk about that? Well, it was mostly the Martin and Miller law firm he seemed to have a bigger issue with. That's right. For example, the Martin Miller law firm said um, that there was a suspicious text Robbie had sent that said, go a little further, and they painted it in a sexual context. But when um, Nathan looked at the phone, he found it in a string of texts that were obviously taxicab directions. So Nathan basically claimed that the 
um, investigation was skewed and unfair from the beginning. I'm not sure what motivations the law firm had for doing that, but it seems like that they weren't completely honest with all their findings. Um, I do not think this exonerates Robbie, uh, not even close, because I think there's just a lot more evidence that still points to Robbie being um, someone who we did not think he was for many years, but uh, it does help show that there's perhaps a little bit of bias against Robbie in all this. We'll talk about that evidence in a second because I want to make that evidence clear about uh, why the evidence that's against Ravi and that he actually did do this stuff. But to to make the point clear about what Nathan has a problem with with the investigation um, was that there was that one text that they had clearly claimed was some kind of sexual text and then in context it was like drive just a little bit further over the bridge, um, then turn left a little bit further, and this you mean was that's not sexual. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, like there, there were some things that they were misconstruing. Also, Nathan mentioned that he went through the phone that he said the law firm said had the most, uh, the most incriminating, incriminating evidence, yeah. and he said he found nothing. So at this point, it's a he said, she said because I'm not sure why Nathan would claim that there was nothing if he did find something. It seems like if you find something, you would like be honest about it, right. unless. Obviously, he has Apparently, also, the family has not seen the full report or evidence, um, which is especially weird cons considering they should be the persons who see them first and that they were on the board of RZIM for many years. Um, so that's especially interesting as well. But um, like just the Lorianne case by itself is hard evidence or like hard for um, those who defend Ravi to overcome. Steve Bauman talks about it a lot in his book and saying that it's very implausible that um, the Thompsons were the extortionists that Ravi claimed they were, and he instead uh, paints a pretty believable picture that Ravi instead happened to sue first, realizing that the um, Thompsons were going to sue him, and there was going to be a bunch of evidence that would have painted him in a very bad light, even if uh, they didn't win the court case. So he sued first and was able to get a non-disclosure agreement after paying them what uh, he owed them outside of court. So um, we might never know fully the whole truth with the Thompson investigation just because of that non-disclosure agreement. Right. So at this point, we've, we've actually painted Ravi in a little bit better light than both Lawson and I see it. Because I asked Lawson uh, just a couple hours ago what he thinks is the percentage chance that Ravi is innocent of the charges. And he said it's probably less than 3%. And I said somewhere around that as well. Um, we've mentioned the evidence from, from Nathan Zacharias and then Margie and them claiming that their dad is innocent. Um, I'll, I'll hand the floor to Lawson in a second, but I just wanted to read the email exchanges between Ravi and Lorianne Thompson, who, again, is the one who claimed that Ravi groomed her into sending him nude pictures. So she sends him an email and she says, I can no longer continue, even in the seams of my soul, tuck away what I know to be sin against God and each of our spouses. She writes a very long letter about how she's going to tell her husband that she's been committing this, this misconduct with Ravi. And Ravi just responds, are you going to tell him it's me? And then he sends another email. You promised me you wouldn't, Lorianne. If you betray me here, I will have no option but to bid this world goodbye. I promise. Little did I know that this was the most dark and accursed day of my life. You will not hear from me again. There's a lot more incriminating evidence as we read even further through this email chain. But Ravi is basically admitting to this. So there's, there's nothing in this email chain where Ravi says, 
I didn't ask for these pictures, you sent me them. He's just admitting to it. She's saying she's gonna tell, tell her husband about the situation and he doesn't want her to. That's like the most incriminating evidence in the Lorianne controversy. But I think Lawson can mention more about Vicky Blue and, and the massage parlors. Well, first I would like to note that um, even after those emails came out and Steve told Ravi he had them and all that stuff, Ravi s- still didn't come out and say they were fake. He still very much um, suggested that the legitimacy of the emails was real and that he meant what he said. He quoted um, from the emails during, I, I think it was some, maybe it was testimony or, or some public sure statement, that. but he, he quoted from the yeah. emails directly, which seems to imply that he's uh, affirming. Right. I think those emails are one of the wor- uh, worst things that, worst pieces of evidence for Robbie. Um, but as far as Vicky Blue and others go, it seems like three or four women eventually came forward initially, and that's when Christianity Today posted their thing, and then ended up including um, evidence of a hundred or so, hundred plus photos and multiple women testimonies, and um, even a rape allegation. But I personally didn't find any other evidence or anything backing up this rape allegation, so I'm not sure how. Um, fair that is, but I did find um, a lot of different things that um, suggested that Ravi, especially during the massages, would often purposely take the cloth off himself and um, would grab the legs of the woman and even reach a little higher or um, fondle their breast. And one of the women even said, and I wish I could find the quote, but I don't think I have the time, said that uh, she often had to tell Ravi that he would have to leave or like push his hand away or something. And she she said that he never went too far with her, but she could see how he could go too far with someone who wasn't willing to do those type of things. And it seems like um, just uh, the women weren't willing to push his hand away and they shouldn't have to, but um, it was unfortunate that it occurred that way. Well, this is obviously a major issue uh, in in terms of modern evangelicalism. We've had lots of people uh, make comments about this, most notably one of my heroes, John Piper. He even uh, published a whole podcast episode about his thoughts on the Ravi Zacharias scandal. So this was a a huge issue in and of itself. But I wanted to take a bird's eye view of this and and tie it to some of the more major themes in American religious history. Uh, let's talk about the, the history of, of sex scandals within the Protestant and Catholic Church. Um, Lawson and I found this book, The Unauthorized Guide to Sex and the Church, by Carmen Renee Barry. Uh, she talks a lot about the history behind uh, sex scandals, especially rape and um, treating women as, as lesser beings than they, they ought to be treated. Uh, it, the history of that within Christendom. So let's just start with, with what, we, what we found from this book. Um, so we found that, like obviously, in the Old Testament, had different laws concerning this. Some which we would find um, not great for our modern ears, but um, ultimately, that's not really super relevant. The New Testament uh, pretty clearly lays out um, nuclear family and then sex within the marriage and other such things, and obviously, does not leave room for abuse. Um, unfortunately, the church did not extend this into the Middle Ages, and um, it was a described just as a brutal time where women were raped often and wars and other such things led to that. And um, so it's not like the history of sexual abuse in the church or in history has been a recent development. It's been going on for years, and um, I hope that we're on the upswing of recovery from uh, the moral degradation of the Middle Ages, but we may see how uh, tough that road is still. Yeah, we're, we always hope that things will get better, but um, some of the statistics that, that 
uh, Renee ba Carmen Renee Berry cites in her own book suggests that that may not be the case. Um, this is a book written in, was it 2005 or 2015? Uh, I thought 2005. <clears throat> I can check. That's right, it's 2005. Okay. Um, and this book was published in 2005, so I guess it's not um, entirely recent, but from the what the book surveyed, it said, 38% uh, of Protestant clergy that were surveyed by Richard Blackman admitted to inappropriate sexual contact with parishioners. That's 38%. And that's admitting, too. That's not even, like, found out or anything. That's yeah. um, those who admitted to doing so, which is even crazier. Um, another survey, this was an older survey in 1991. They revealed that 37% of the pastors surveyed confessed to having been involved in inappropriate sexual behavior with someone in the church. And one of the most, uh, and then uh, another one that they, they mentioned was close to 800 claims accusing 200 priests were filed before December 31st, 2003 in California alone. As, mm -hmm. uh, based on an amalgamation of sources, as many as 3,000 priests abused children over the past 50 years. And a professor of psychology at Santa Clara University estimates that these priests abused approximately 24,000 victims. Right. We, uh, it's a problem in um, both sides of the church, whether Protestant or Catholic. There seems to be, in America at least, um, definitely more Protestant abuses um, than Catholic, but it's not by too much. And But, of course, I think um, Catholic, there's a higher chance just because of the hierarchy of it coming out, unless, of course, you have cover-ups and such, which we'll also cover later. Um we could actually just get to cover-ups now. Um, Barry talks about some cover-ups and how the Catholic Church is probably more known for having sex scandals only because they're more outward about it. They're more uh, open about it. Whereas with the Protestant churches, a lot of times there's cover-ups. With the specific example of the Ravi Zacharias scandal, a lot of the victims and a lot of the people like Bauman and other critics have come out against Ravi Zacharias but specifically against the company because they were like the people that were in authority were covering up for Robbie. They knew about the Laurie Ann Thompson scandal. They knew that they should be holding him accountable, that he shouldn't have his own phone that's, uh, that's not on company lines and that he shouldn't just be able to go wherever he wants without telling people where he's going. And they didn't want to put those accountability barriers in place. And that is a problem that really needs to be fixed in the Protestant church. But Right. Um, specifically, according uh, like for the Ravi case, um, Julie Royce and um, Steve Bauman talked about in the podcast they did together how it, there was a violation of this sort of um, accountability just because most of the people in charge at RZIM were Ravi's family members or Ravi himself. And so there was not much accountability to Ravi. But um, also how other ministers and leaders suspected Robbie was doing things for years. I think Steve talks about that a lot in his book, Cover Up in the Kingdom. Uh, because, like he mentions how John Stackhouse, a Christian apologist, said, and I quote, I've been worried for 20 years about someone finally doing exactly this, calling Robbie Zacharias to account for inflating his academic credentials. And he mentions other such things, how people have been kind of aware of this and have not been willing to say anything just because of either the position Ravi has had or um, whatever else for their unwillingness. Mm -hmm. The last thing that we wanted to talk about with regard to this scandal was kind of on a more personal level. Uh, one of the things that Bauman recognizes in his book is that this Ravi Zacharias thing can shake up 
what you expect. Because as someone who has looked up to Ravi for a long time, shaking like my expectations of what it means to be an apologist, especially since Ravi went around talking about, like there are some victims who, who talked about how he would literally be in conferences talking about how he needs to be a good person behind doors just as he is in public. And then to hear that he actually wasn't a good person behind doors is a pretty scary, it's a pretty scary thought that there are people that, you know, have a, a hidden private life and then talk in public, like even on this podcast, like here I am talking in public, people don't know what my life is like behind behind closed right. doors. And, and that's what's, what's happened with Ravi and how scary it is that you really never have any idea what's happening behind closed doors. Right. It seems, it seemed, it e- what's well, even crazier is it seems like Ravi had um, almost a Billy Graham rule in place where he wasn't supposed to be alone with any woman and he um he said his only um crime i guess in the Lorianne debacle was that he had a one-on-one conversation with a married woman who wasn't his wife and kept in contact with her there um, but also uh, i completely lost my train of thought so <laughs> that's all right uh the 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 big thing that i the big question that i had was, uh, do you think Ravi was a bad Christian, or do you think he just was not a Christian at all? And also, like, how does how does this really impact how we perceive the faith? Does that mean that, you know, Christianity is um, less believable if its leaders are so often involved in sex scandals? I mean, these statistics say 38% of, of the surveyed Protestant clergymen have had inappropriate sexual contact with their parishioners. That's a pretty insane number. A small sample size, but still a pretty insane number. Right. So, first, for the bad Christian or not Christian at all, I think um, C.S. Lewis makes a good point in mere Christianity, which I neglected to bring, unfortunately, that um, just because people are bad and say they're Christians doesn't mean they might not be Christians. They might just be very bad Christians. And I don't think we or anyone else can say whether Ravi was um, a bad Christian or not a Christian at all. It's, it's hard to believe that someone would commit these type of things if they do have Christ and have accepted him, but also we are all sinners and sanctification is um, a tricky progr- process and sometimes we go down before we ultimately go up into heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second part, uh, what does that say about our faith if our leaders are not good? I would like to say that one of the draws of the early church was how the leaders and how the followers acted, mm-hmm. um, how they just shared and loved and all that. And um, that's ultimately what the law boils down to is love. And if we don't have that, like Ravi didn't for these women and all his victims, then I think that is a problem. But I'm not sure the problem should be with the faith that says um, it should be love. But I think um, it's just a problem of sin nature and maybe a lack of accountability. Because like even... Paul had to keep Peter accountable. Mm-hmm. Well, in a twisted and morbid way, the Ravi Zacharias scandal for me has had a positive impact because in the same way that for 9-11, though terrible as it was, and you cannot just understate how, how much of a tragedy it was. You mean over <laughs> you can't don't, don't, don't quote Ethan on that part. <laughs> you can't overstate how much of a tragedy 9-11 was. But there were positive things that came about, like having better security and having, you know, well, better airports. You might airplane. say those positive. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are lots of examples of, of, of different tragedies that had positive benefits because of the security, additional security measures that were put in place. And where I am sure that Ravi Zacharias 
what he did was absolutely horrible, um, and there's there's just no excuses for that. There's still some good in that it's a lesson to everyone else that no matter what good face you may put on in public, that you might put on when you're, you know, talking to your friends, talking about God, that you still need to be care- take care that what you're doing in private is matching what you're doing in public because that's that's really a temptation it's hard for someone to come out and just like judge ravi and say i can't believe ravi would do this unless you're perfect in private i mean like you obviously can judge him because what he did was absolutely morally atrocious right but we're all sinners and so right. uh, we all just need to be humble and recognize our own faults and failings especially yeah. those in private yeah renee barry mentioned how um in stats in her appendix how like Christian men will have an extramarital affair to a tune of like 30% of them Mm. and how um, 90% of them masturbate or something like that on a regular basis. And so it's, it's easy for, to get into a plank and spec scenario um, Mm -hmm. like Jesus talks about. But um, one last thing I want to say is that it's unfortunate that we had such a time crunch because we did not do justice to um, (laughs) the accusations against Ravi nor his defense, not even close. Um, there's so much more that we could have covered, and um, and especially that even Steve Bauman in his book, we could have spent a whole podcast just talking about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we just tried to give a general layout of what happened and our thoughts. Um, It'll be in the annotated bibliography anyway. Sure. <laughs> sure. <it will. laughs> All right. Well, thanks for tuning in to this singular final episode of Sparkling Ice Podcast. It's been a pleasure to be your co-host along with Lawson Wesley Doden. Yes, today's flavor is kiwi strawberry for 88 cents at Kroger. You. <laughs> you should get it before it is no longer on sale. There is a 10 cent bottle deposit. Experience but if you go back and water, deposit the bottle, sparkling ice, bold flavor, zero calories, perfectly possible.